carnivorous couch Shit happens once a week It swallows us for two hours When we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film About which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Okay, hey everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to Carnivorous Couch. I'm Rob, and that is... Brady Larson. And we also have with us... Uh, I'm the specialist guest, and my name is Tessa. You're the only guest. I'm the specialist guest. The only guest, but yes. Brady, what did we watch this week? This week, uh, last week we watched Cool Hand Luke, as you know, because you tune in regularly. And so we wanted to keep this in the wheelhouse of... uh, what would you say, Rob? A uh, nonconformity. So we watched Easy Rider, um, a Best Picture nominee from 1968. Is it eight? I wouldn't say nonconformity. I believe it was originally screened at Cannes in 1968. What is it? Cannes? Cannes? Or Cannes? It's Cannes, like because kick the can. I think they just change it. They change the pronunciation of things like this all the time. So that they can always be right and I can always be wrong. Canis. Canis. <laughs> French have been keeping Rob down for years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 30 years, to be honest. They invented etiquette, didn't they? They did. We were just talking about this. Uh, King Louis the in Versailles <laughs> invented to keep the, uh, the poorer classes from actually inquiring into their status. I thought you weren't going to mumble anymore, dude. I know. <laughs> Well, it was King well, Louis the what? Instead, I know how I'm going to fix know. it. I'm going to mumble some of the time and speak really loudly other times, kind of like a burrito that's piping hot and ice cold. Ah, so. I see. So anyway, uh, what did we watch this week, Brady? This week we watched uh, Easy Rider, uh, directed by Dennis Hopper, starring Dennis Hopper, written by Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, and some other dude. That history is forgotten. Peter Fonda also produced it. Yeah. She's right. I think they all produced... Weren't they... Didn't they all get at least an executive producer credit or something like so. that? Probably. I don't know. Meaningless producing credit. Okay, yes. Yeah, so the film... Yeah, 1968 actually was released in America uh, in a wide release in 69. Okay. Um, and... That was in July, so maybe it maybe it was released in Cannes in '69. I know I was just a boy. Late '60s. Late '60s. Dude, you weren't even a twinkle in your dad's mm-hmm. ball sack. <laughs> uh, that famous twinkle. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we do have to touch on last week. We did Cool Hand Luke, and we screwed up, and we did not mention any Christ likeness in Cool Hand Luke, which there's a lot of it, and there's a lot of crosses and a. Just cross, cross, tons of fucking crosses. Yeah, there are. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Cool Hand Luke has a lot of uh, Jesus-like imagery, uh, which fits in well with its theme of martyrdom, which is eventually what happens to Luke. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Luke starts off, uh, the first thing I did mention last week, the first time we see the Christ-like imagery is uh, when Dragline is all pissed at him for, like, well, there's this hot chick watching her car torturing the inmates, and so they were all watching her going like, damn, damn, she's fine, and she's bending over that car and doing all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff to drive us crazy, and then, like, Dragline wouldn't let it go the next night. He's just like, oh, man, it was, 
you know, <laughs> doing his normal rapist talk. It's right. like, yeah, yeah, oh. And uh, Luke tells him to let it go. And then he goes like, well, we get to settle our problems in the yard, so I'm going to, you know, fucking beat the crap out of you in the boxing ring tomorrow. Right. Uh, Saturday. And so Luke can't really fight. Uh, he kind of refuses to fight, and he just keeps getting punched repeatedly by Dragline. But he keeps getting back up. Correct. And then allowing himself to be punched again until Dragline respects him. And, uh, I, yeah, what do we think? Do you, I think this is kind of uh, the movie in miniature, really, is about someone who, no matter what kind of licks they take, is never going to change the fundamental, the, well, their, their fundamental character, essentially. Uh, which I think makes it interesting. Do you think that Luke is a man who is hell-bent on destruction, or... I mean, how much do you think the martyrdom thing is meant to be taken at face value? Well, I mean, he's almost resurrected three times, too. Right. And the fact that he gets away, and then he comes back. <laughs> I guess that's not resurrection. That's just being getting away and then coming back. But, I mean, um, yeah, I guess, I guess there's no real resurrection theme there. I, you could make a case for it if you did a whole bunch of filmy, filmy, like, various things. No, yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of resurrection either. I think it's mainly uh, a movie about martyrdom, a movie about nonconformity taken to the extreme of uh, essentially clinging to nonconformity to the point of pursuing your own destruction. Right, but at the end he's in the church and he has his little thing with God like, what do you got planned for me? What's going on? Wh what am I supposed to do now? And then like the cops show up and he goes, oh, shit and then so there's a lot of crosses in there the window frame itself is a cross he actually gets shot through that window frame which is a cross mm -hmm. which you know you could make a case for that meaning something uh tash you haven't seen cool hand luke huh yeah i'm a specialist guest that is specializing in having not seen the movie last week <laughs> okay so anyway there was a lot of christ like imagery in cool hand luke we missed it last time we have now covered it and so we're going to move on with this little bit of Carnivorous Couch, which is... Easy Rider. Easy Rider. Ah, oh, I love this film. Great film. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a film. It's very strong. Very, very, very strong film. What do you think some of the themes of this are? Uh, I think, you know, obviously you have both films ending in the eventual death of uh, your main protagonist. In this case, the two main protagonists at the hand of uh, essentially a, a more normative society that misunderstands them and that either is unable to communicate with them or doesn't care to. Uh, beyond that, though, I think Easy Rider is definitely its own movie. It's definitely about nonconformity, but I think also just essentially, well, I guess this is like Cool Hand Luke. I think it's about a failure to communicate on a nationwide <laughs> level, a snapshot of the times, snapshot of misunderstanding between two very different uh, poles of the American conscience, I think. You know, it's interesting because it wasn't... Uh, like, Cool Hand Luke is like, I am who I am, and uh, I'm not conforming to your thing, and that's why I'm in jail, and then that's why the jail kind of... You know, and all those issues with identity. This is a lot more like the search for freedom. Like, uh, I think last night we had a bonfire, and we were talking about um, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And like just the American dream, et cetera, et cetera. It, this movie really falls into Hunter S. Thompson's sort of, yeah. you know, looking for 
you know, your little piece of freedom. I mean, okay, let's start with, you know, uh, summarizing the plot, right? We open with, they're in Mexico. In Mexico, we believe. They're testing out some cocaine. And they're getting paid, they're paying a big fat stack of bills. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they go from Mexico to America. Yep. They or do they go to the airport? They go, the well, they go to the airport. We're not actually told where it is, I don't think. Right. Uh, but we had assumed that they had eventually crossed the border into the United States to complete the drug transaction. Yeah, and I mean, my feeling from the film was this was their dream. They were trying to make enough money, and they were doing this. They were basically going, getting the cocaine, coming over the border, going back, and just getting more and more money for it Right. over time. Yes. So... Actually, I just realized something. They don't eat. <laughs> yeah, they eat at the that's cat the, house. That's the only time. That's later in the film. Okay, on the very yeah. first scene, they talk about um, they're they're gonna take their money. No, no, they eat at the. Um, they do that they, that when they stop at to fix the bikes. They eat, they oh, eat there. Wait, oh, yeah, they eat a bunch of times. They eat a bunch, <laughs> dude. <laughs> well, I just, but I mean, in general, okay, a lot of the movie there's is... There's a lot of eating in this movie. Well, yeah, when they meet people, then they eat with them. But then there's a lot of them just biking around. I mean, I'm assuming that they well, eat that's something a, that's when they're camping. That's actually really interesting, I think, because you, you do spend a lot of time seeing them either eating with people or, like, failing to eat somewhere like when they're in the they're in the diner and they they have to they have to like you know 86 the joint and then uh also when they're at that commune there's a lot of discussion about you know um whether or not they'll get to eat at all (laughs) but the eating is really tied to we just met new person Mm -hmm. and so we will eat with them because they'll supply us some food so kind of in that idea of just like the nature of sustenance uh, they're not capable of doing that on their own. Like, um, they are capable of driving around. Obviously, they're not capable of fixing their bike on their own. Oh, wow, we're getting into this, but we need to actually get a plot summary going, and Brady's probably the best person to do that. So. Oh, I, I think you were doing it very capably. Why don't you continue? Okay, let's start. Uh, they're, they get the cocaine. Then they um, bike across the border, sell the cocaine, get a fat stack of bills, and throw it in the gas can with some little contraption to keep it dry. Right, yeah, they uh, they take their ill-gotten gains and they hide it into the tank of their motorcycle. Right. And, I mean, actually, I don't think this is a particularly complicated movie plot-wise. It's about this drug transaction. Once they have the money, it's about this dream to go to Mardi Gras, to go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. And so, in a sense, it's a road trip movie about these two characters uh, getting there, which they eventually do. So, from there, they go riding along, but apparently their bike gets broken. We don't see the bike get broken or anything. We just got, you know, some Steppenwolf going with them riding around. Yeah, there's a bunch. There's, there's at least two Steppenwolf songs, maybe more than two. But, um, yep. So, they're biking. Biking. And when I say biking, I mean motorcycle riding. Not, yeah. not <laughs> it's, This isn't a Tour de France movie. That would be a different movie. Right. That's, oh, that's those premium freaks <laughs> with their newfangled bicycles. <laughs> well, Tess, your brother once saw us riding a... A, <laughs> a well, tandem bike. A tandem bike. And he yelled, get two bikes! <laughs> One time in Sacramento, he yelled that at two ladies. That were on a tandem bike, and one of the ladies on the bike goes, "Yeah!" <laughs> like she's like, "I don't like this. I want two bikes." Well, it wasn't even 
even that. It, it was really funny because no, no, we were going up there. I don't think he yelled "get to you, bikes." He yeah, just, he, did. he just. First of all, I didn't know who it was because we weren't <laughs> expecting him, and so he just kind of went like, "What are you?" And and my girlfriend was on the tandem bike, and she was just yelling back at him like, "Fuck you! It's a bicycle boulevard. I have a right to be here in this lane." And then <laughs> then he's just like, "What's that contraption you're riding? That horrible, awful thing? Get two bikes!" And then we're like, who so is this crazy person yelling at us? And we're like, oh, it's Tess's brother, who just happens to be in town, even though he lives at least an hour away. Two hours. Uh, well, I mean, I said at least an hour, because on the Easy Rider guys, they could make it in an hour. Sure thing. Mm -hmm. Lane splitting and all that. Easy. So, okay, so that's the plot of the movie. And I guess we said in the previous podcast, this is a uh, spoilerific podcast. So if you haven't seen the film and don't want anything given away... Uh, you probably want to tune out. Yeah. At, at the moment, we've only given you the first 10 minutes, so... You literally told them the end. Well, we haven't... Already. Well, yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> we did Spoiler alert, guys. We, we said that the movie was about martyrdom. In the end... Uh, I, didn't, I was talking about Cool Hand Luca. I was talking about... I, but I used, he let slip uh, that they oh, both he let, died. No, I didn't, well, I'm I didn't in the let clear. it slip. It's, this is a, a spoiler-heavy <laughs> podcast. We're literally going to discuss every inch of the film. So, yeah, this isn't the... Uh... I'm pretty sure I said that when I said welcome to another universe. Yeah. Yeah. I need to write a spiel. I haven't written the spiel yet. We do have a title this time. Oh, by the way, let's take a little break. Well, not a break break, but a break to say that this is called Carnivorous Couch. We review a film a week. Obviously, you can gather that from the uh, theme song. But also, you can Twitter us with any comments at Carney Couch, C-A-R-N-Y Couch. And also check us out on iTunes and soon to be on Stitcher, I hope. And our website is www.carnivoroscouch.com. If you can't spell it, look it up in the dictionary first and back to what we're talking about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so so the story is about two guys trying to get to Mardi Gras. Eventually they do so. But it's also about them encountering different kinds of people on the road who I think are supposed to be a snapshot of mm -hmm. American life in the, in the 1960s. Or different people searching for freedom is Absolutely. the way I saw it. It's just like, this guy's looking for freedom this way, they're looking for freedom their way, then they meet another guy who's basically got more freedom than them, but is interested in what they're doing, and so forth and so on. Is that yeah. Jack Nicholson's character? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, the, you get the you idea that he jail. probably has more money than they do, I think... That's well, I mean, implied. yeah, we'll we'll get to him when we get to him. But let's talk I about the hippie wait. commune, man. OK, the hippie commune. I've got to say, like, OK, so this is right before Jack Nicholson busts onto the scene and y you absolutely fall in love with him. Um, they go to this this hippie commune and um, there's this pan around the room on everyone's face. And they look, <laughs> they look so just fed up with this hippie crap. <laughs> like, they, they can't deal with this anymore. They're like, I just want to leave this commune. And now this guy's saying some weird hippie prayer. And I just, man. <laughs> well, that scene is like, like, because everybody's kind of staring forward as uh -huh. it does the pan. And it's obviously like a very... It's either a very long line or it's in a circle. It's a circle. It's in I a think. circle. But in fact, it even recalls an earlier shot uh, we get. Uh, I think not too long before that, 
a 360 pan mm-hmm. of a, a desert vista at sunset. Oh, right, 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 yeah, yeah. I actually wanted to make a point about that scene and something I want to talk about maybe later um, is like this nebulous sense of place that you get for most of the movie. There's no, there are no clear indicators of where you are. For a minute, I thought I wasn't paying enough attention, <laughs> but it turns out that there's no, like they never really tell you where in America they are. All the cities look the same. All the roads look kind of similar. You get a lot of shots of bridges and things that could be literally anywhere in any town USA. Oh, yeah. we didn't, we, for a while, we were like, are they in so, Mexico? Yeah. Are, oh, exactly. wait, no, no, no. Are they in, I think they're in Southern California. I think well, we rural Southern California. So yeah. back to that scene is that that I think was when I first started to notice how nebulous the space was being presented to us as, and you get that you you can't tell if they're in a line, you can't tell if they're in a circle, you don't know what they're looking at or why they're sitting there. It's just like very nebulous. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Another thing about that scene is like it felt like they were all looking at something that was very sad to them. Mm-hmm. But maybe uh, it was their just freedom. Peter, Peter Fonda. Wait, who directed Fonda or Hopper? Uh, Hopper directed. Hopper. Hopper directed. Okay, maybe director yeah. just said, "Yeah, man, just look serious while we drag the camera across all your faces, man." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what Dennis Hopper sounds like back, you know, back back in the sixties. Um, but anyway, um, I felt like they were. I thought. There's a goat earlier in the scene, <laughs> and I thought that maybe they were looking at the slaughtered goat, like they had sacrificed a goat or something. We'll never know. Yeah, we never know what they were looking at. We knew where they were going to eat it, but I mean, it could have been the goat. <laughs> but I mean, um, when you first show up at the hippie commune, there's like a woman with a knife by the door, and then she opens the door, and she goes, oh, it's you, or it's two other dudes, and apparently they're threatened a little bit, and she was a little worried about who might possibly be there. Um but anyway, the next thing, she immediately puts down the knife and then runs over to a goat and goes, what are you eating? What are you eating? <laughs> and I went like, knife? Goat? Is that is that like the gun on the wall? It's, it's going right. to go off in the third yeah. act sort of thing? <laughs> Chekhov's like, goat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So uh, maybe they sacrificed the goat, but that's the end of the hippie calming thing. Like as soon as that happens, they go outside and the dude's like, hey man, here's some acid. When you find yourself in the right place with the right people recorded that uh, have a good time and then dennis hopper's all itching to go he's like come on man let's get out of here <laughs> fucking go <laughs> i don't like these hippie folk they were like okay what do you guys think about that scene where dennis hopper is playing around with the hippie people and he's got like a cross in his hand and then they go like why are you here who sent you and then they like all kind of shun him and push him away uh, I think we were all kind of I was curious about yeah, what's was going on with mystified. that. I was a bit mystified. I didn't know if it was like he was bringing in organization. Like like the cross in his hand is organized religion, and maybe he was bringing that symbolically into their kind of camp, and they were shunning him away. I, I assumed that they were the theater people, and they were playing, right. and they were just like, who has sent you here? Get away! And then everybody's like, yeah, yeah, get away! Because it's all kids. Um, <laughs> and then And then he, like, yeah, there's a lot of kids at this hippie commune, by the way. We, we should probably set this. You want to set the scene? The hippie commune? No, no. It, they're essentially a commune of people. They've chosen to move out into the desert. And in that location, they've chosen to try to live off the land, which, you know, you couldn't pick a, a much more foreboding place to do that to try to become a farmer. Oh, yeah. There were 70, and there's only 18 to 20 of them still alive, right? Yeah. yeah. They said, like, it went from, like, 50 to 20 of them. Yeah. yeah. 
and so they're trying to plant and you know we got a little shot of them sowing the seeds actually like that whole shot of them that was like just their legs and the seed bags mm -hmm. that kind of reminded me of like a alejandro jodorowsky sort of thing i don't know if you guys have seen a uh, holy mountain or anything like that mm -hmm. uh, oh we might, want, we might have to do that <laughs> we might have to do that movie because that's a that's so that's a two-hour that podcast that we could do on Halloween. Holy Mountain, because Holy Mountain is one of these movies that I've seen on in the background all throughout. Like, well, you know, you you, Every you would time have I throw it at a parties. Halloween party. Yeah, yeah, you would have it on at parties in the background, and so I've seen it in pieces like that. But um, I always thought I always thought that I had seen. Easy Rider before now because it was always on at my house growing up. My brother would just watch that all the time, and, and I'd also never watched seen Fear it. And Loathing too, right? Yeah, and I'd never Very seen it theme. all in order. Pulp Fiction too. Well, I probably accidentally saw Pulp Fiction in order, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'd see you know little bits and pieces of it throughout my day, and I always assumed I you know knew what was going on there, and I'd never actually sat down to watch it. I was surprised at how little I was getting out of that. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a lot to this movie, um, but it, it really seems meandering, uh, which I, I, it's probably intentional. You know, I, I don't know if I found it to be that meandering. Once we find out where they're headed, there's definitely a sense. That's true. In mm -hmm. fact, I found a lot of, I, I, I wouldn't call this necessarily a contradictory term, but from the editing, I found it to be very propulsive. It reminded me a lot in its editing, actually, in the way its shots are of a more recent movie about iconoclasm, which is uh, Into the Wild. Uh, a lot of the footage is just has this kind of curious character to it. There are lots of curious uh, shots of just taking in the landscape. Uh, when they're put in jail, the camera robes around to see graffiti on the walls. So it's, I think it serves the movie well as a, a movie that's about where the country is at the time and about going across the country to get to this event, is it's sort of wanting to take in just little details here and there. Uh, so it's, it's kind of fragmented in that way. Oh, here's another thing. Um, before they get to the hippie commune, the first thing they do if they go, have to go fix the bike, and it's, there's a really interesting shot where he's like starting to wrench on the bike and take off the tire, and it pans over to the guy who's shoeing a horse. Nice. And it's I just did not like, notice that. Yeah, he's repairing his tire on his new fangled machine, and the other dude's repairing his old style of transportation, the horse. He's which, repairing his horse. Yes, he was shoeing the horse. Uh, yeah, the which, man even asked him not to start his motorcycle because the animal's frightened by it. Right. So, I mean, that's a very telling, like, little thing there. I, I mean, I, you got to believe that's purposefully done. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think if the movie's about anything first and foremost, it is about these twin faces of America, the old way and the new, and how they're butting heads in this very specific time. Right. Uh, real quick background on what Easy Rider is kind of about is, um, uh, I guess Dennis Hopper had the idea. No, no, Peter Fonda had the idea. Because uh, he was in a Western. Shit, I can't remember what the name of the Western is. But he saw himself and he went like, dude, what if they're... Okay, now I'm going to give away the end of the movie. What if we did a movie... Yes, but I'm going to very explicitly give it away. What if we did a movie that was like a new style Western and we get shot by hillbillies at the end? So um, that was his whole thing on it. And also this biker culture and the drugs, uh, which was cocaine. But I mean, eh, I think at this time it was supposed to be um, speed. That's what most of the bikers were doing um, or mealing around. But... The other thing is that these were these guys, these biker guys, were all people who came back from World War II, 
mm-hmm. and or Korea, who were basically, you know, they felt like they're, you know, much the same as it is today. They felt like the uh, country had abandoned them on the idea of kind of caring for them, setting them up with a job or whatever they got to do afterwards. And that that's where the biker movement started was, well, screw this, man. We came back. We like gave our service for this country and nobody really gives a shit. So right. um, we're going to find our own way. We're going to, you know, that's what started the Hells Angels and stuff like that. So I don't know how that fits <laughs> into this movie, but I, I do know that that's a vague general history that I heard somewhere. No right. source to cite. But um, I think it was in a, film, in a film class that somebody explained this to me before I watched this movie. So anyway, um, thought I'd throw that little tidbit in there. Interesting. So oh. the old way and the new way repairing the bicycle or the bicycle. I keep calling them bicycles. A bike. Uh, the a motor, bike and the motorbike. Motor yes. Um yeah. So that's yeah. where we were. <laughs> well, you know, I, I so I use the word snapshot. That's I think definitely kind of what the movie's about in its earlier uh scenes. What I think the movie morphs into for me though is a movie about fear of the other. Uh, and on that subject, I don't want to <laughs> phrase this as a criticism, but I think it's interesting. Uh, when it comes to the characters who are sort of antagonistic toward our protagonists, uh, certainly the ones who kill them, but also some others they run into, they go into a Louisiana restaurant, and because of their long hair, not only does everyone gossip, but essentially they're unable to eat. No one comes to serve them. And a group of uh, bigoted men in a booth next to them speak very loudly. And one's yeah. a police officer. But all the yeah. women are into them. Yeah. And yeah, actually, that's, when they, the start, woman, that's the... when they start speaking really loudly, though, because they're like, our women are into them? We need to put these fuckers down because like, yeah. they can't be coming in here taking our women. Even the woman, though, uh, one of them thinks that Dennis Hopper's, I think, puka shell necklace, she wonders <laughs> if it's made of teeth. So even in that <laughs> case, it's it about Is it made this... of teeth? Or is he just a broy broy douche douche? <laughs> <laughs> Not a douche, man. Uh, no, man, no. No, I got to say man and, and you know a lot. Um, okay, well, before we get to the uh, threatening thing and, like, the pushback, or no, maybe we should start with I the pushback. One more thing I wanted okay. to say about the commune before we move on yeah. from the commune sure. and how you were talking about, um, like, how eating is kind of something that becomes a theme in that, and then you have that pan around the table and you don't know what they're looking at and he's kind of saying this weird prayer about um you know hoping that that the seeds that they planted will grow so and then he ends it with like let's eat but you don't know if they like if he's saying that what what he's saying that about and i almost got the impression because we didn't see what they were eating that it was there imaginary. Wasn't, yeah, there you know, wasn't anything. He, they were just all really hoping that there was food, and that's when the two guys, like, 86 They were just like, Audi, this sucks. Well, well, <laughs> yeah, but we do know that they ate food. Uh, we saw, At one point. Yeah, yes. he had a piece of bread, and, like, then, like, uh, Peter Fonda's doing a real, like, kind the, of This active... wasn't during that scene, though, No, was this it? was right after that scene. It was right after that? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then that's when he's... Oh, this was actually before. It was before. Wasn't uh, it? Yeah, but that's... We just aw- saw this. We should remember. When, I mean, it... I, I wouldn't make it He's sitting big. with the chick eating, and then that's when the guy gets pushed. Yeah, no, it is before. Mm. Which is weird, because why would they eat right after that? Maybe it was the next Yeah, but day. in the scene after that, uh, Hopper's being kind of a, a bit insouciant, and he's, I think, maybe suspicious of the people in the commune. He's annoyed. He wants yeah. to move on. 
and Peter Fonda reminds him to We're act politely because we've been eating their food. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also the thing is, I think just in general, uh, Peter Fonda's character, uh, I know Dennis Hopper's character is Billy. Peter Fonda's character. Captain America? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He is Captain America, but he has an actual name as well. I don't know e- any of the characters' names in this. I got to be honest here. Yeah. I was thinking of him as Captain America and the other guy. Well, like, I don't think, those yeah. were the names that I gave them. I don't. I don't think anybody <laughs> has a last name, and I think that's another thing we touched on this last time uh, with with just identity in general um, in these nonconformity movies. Uh, how much identity you have kind of controls how much power you have. Mm-hmm. And in this, it's almost the opposite of Cool Hand Luke. We were talking about last time is that Luke was the only one with identity and he was able to kind of control the entire camp because he had that. In this, it's like they almost have no identity. Um, nobody that they hang out with in this movie, they hang out with for long. And in doing that, they're actually able to pursue their dream a little bit further. It's once they're noticed in the town that... You know, they basically say they'll never make it to the county line. Like, they're not getting out of here alive because we know we know those fuckers now. You know? Mm-hmm. So let's uh, move on to when we get to meet good old Jack Nicholson. Oh, man. Oh, man, he stole the fucking show. Yep. Best oh. part of the movie by far for me. Just, yeah, I agree. He, he lit up the thing. And I was like, I, I was feeling like the hippies on the commune by that point, just going like, Oh, I'm so sick of this hippie crap. Hi, what are you doing? Uh, quick, Talk. <laughs> quick side note: that was supposed to be Rip Torn, but uh, Dennis Hopper actually uh, pulled a knife on Rip Torn in the pre-production <laughs> meeting. <laughs> so um, Rip Torn did not end up being in the production. Uh, Jack th- Nicholson pulled a knife back. I think that was. No, there was uh... some talk show. No, well, no, there was a there was a talk show as well where like. Uh, I think Peter Fonda said that Rip Torn actually pulled the, pulled the knife, and Rip Torn sued him for defamation of character and won, because what? Dennis Hopper was the person who pulled the knife. <laughs> anyway, that's just a little quick side note. <laughs> I, I, hmm? Anyway, Jack Nicholson. So who's he? Uh, Jack Nicholson. He plays, I believe, a Southern lawyer. Uh, I assumed a Texan lawyer at that point. Uh, since they were yeah, since they're heading a few across. days from yeah. yeah, I think they say they're three days from New Orleans. They mentioned visiting Mexico too, so you get the impression they're near there. Yeah, yeah so, so they meet him in jail. Yeah, they meet him in a jail cell. They're thrown in jail because they uh, they essentially ride their motorcycles into this Texas town following a parade, and the police pull them over and arrest them for riding without a permit. And that's when we're thrown in the jail cell. <laughs> oh, that was the rate. <laughs> <laughs> That's what what I was talking about when I said the camera sort of roves around to catch these bits of graffiti. Uh, oh yeah, now, the graffiti the graffiti was really cool because I don't know. There's this thing for me in movies, especially when it's '60s, and you know how '60s and '70s movies, especially if they're more indie, uh, they look faded mm-hmm. because they really hadn't started taking care of film back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know they well in the '60s they didn't go hey, we're going to release this on video someday. It was right. like that shit went in the theater, and then you saw it in the theater, or you saw it on the TV movie of the week. Other than that, there was no like, hey, have you seen Easy Rider? Uh, no, man, I didn't see it. Oh, it was really good. You should see it. Okay, next time it's on TV, or next <laughs> time it's playing in a flashback film nearby, uh, I'll go see that. But yeah, you have to think about it. So anyway, they didn't start taking care of film until later. But every time I um, see like, Anything in the 60s referring back to film, I'm always like, dude, shouldn't 
the graffiti be black and white? Because <laughs> <What? laughs> we see this thing, it's like, you know, I love Jesus, 1914, and I'm like, that should be black and white. There's no, there's no way. Oh, wait a minute. Colors existed before <laughs> film. <laughs> what, is, what? What must it be like to be you? <laughs> it's interesting. You know, another thing I found interesting was, yeah, there's that sign. I think I'm gonna, just going to paraphrase. It's a, it says Jesus uh, the same today as he was yesterday. A little placard. And I thought that was interesting because I think. I'm pretty much the same today as I was yesterday, though. <laughs> Well, you're not Jesus. Oh wait, right. Oh yeah, that's my point. Okay. Who I mean, in I, this I, film? But no, no. I, I wanted to Jesus. say I think <laughs> I think this is also obviously very in keeping with its '60s setting. Is a movie that's kind of curious about things that change versus things that don't, uh, and I think that wow. puts kind of a fine point on it. That maybe what some of the people who are afraid of the counterculture are really afraid of is just anything changing. Jesus is timeless. The landscapes that we spend so much time taking in are the same today as they were centuries ago. But yeah. people change. That, well, that's really good. I mean, like that—that's the—that's mm-hmm. there's a line in the film where they say they're not necessarily afraid of what you are, but what you represent. Which is that they rep—they uh, basically represent somebody who's in flux, in changing. The people are changing, and the society hasn't changed up with them. So that's threatening because, well, shit, if they're changing, that means that we should have gotten onto something that they've obviously gotten onto. Now, oh, uh, I think we got off on a tangent, though, because we were introducing the Jack Nicholson we character. We were. Did. They meet him in jail. Yeah. Interesting thing is they meet him in jail, and uh, initially, surprise, surprise, Dennis Hopper has a problem with him. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Hopper's like he has a problem with everybody. Actually, problem, at, at the very man. beginning, when they pick up the the commune hitchhiker, Dennis mm-hmm. Hopper has a problem with him. He's just like he's like buying them gas, and he's like, "Hey, man, and you're letting them put gas in the thing. And that's where all our money is. It's hidden in the gas can." <laughs> and like Peter Fonda's character is all like, "Look, man, it's okay." He's just like, "I don't know, man. I don't know." He's like, "I do. All right, I know that it's okay. There's no way the dude's gonna look in my gas can and be like, is that a bunch of rolled up hundred dollar bills?'" <laughs> Hot damn, I did not have this accent in the film, but uh, <laughs> I do now because Rob's doing me. Uh, they're job, they're interesting job. polls, those two characters, too. I mean, mm-hmm. Hopper's uh, very irritable throughout a lot of the movie. Peter Fonda's character is one of the most beatific, peaceful, zen-like He's also kind of inflammatory. He's always, like, pushing people and, like, grabbing women and stuff like that. And it's just like, well, dude, no wonder. Hopper, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. No wonder, like, sometimes women don't like you all the time. (laughs) They don't like to be grabbed necessarily, dude. Actually, you know what what I was finding, I was wondering is, why are these two people friends at all? And I don't know, like, this is not going to fit in with the themes we've been talking about, but... I did find myself wondering that, like when when you why cast are Peter it, Fonda and Dennis you, Hopper friends? Well, maybe that's maybe that's Hard the drive, maybe that's the real question. Yeah, is you know they're they they both like to ride motorcycles, but other than that, you know, I can't really see any. Maybe well, maybe it's that they're that that you know the Hopper character really needs this guy to keep him from totally like Definitely. destroying Absolutely. his entire existence. Yes. 
Um, so maybe I answered my question for? there. Well, I mean, I, I always felt <laughs> but what, like... Yeah, but then what is... To, to no, be I, in control of somebody? I, I don't know. Also, the no, Fonda I think character seems incapable of hating anyone. That oh. might be a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. He's, maybe he's just so complacent about it that, you know, he's he can put up with that. I think it comes right down to, um, basically, um, they're, they're both of that counterculture that I was talking right. about with the background. And it, you know, that other than that, they don't, they don't have anything. They just have other people who do the same shit I do. That that's yeah, all they have. Yeah. So but they 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 lose track of everyone else they encounter so quickly. Like how they they manage to somehow stick with each other through at least the course of the film um, before and before you know we meet them in the beginning. Yeah. So. But I mean, like, uh, obviously they had a partnership. They said we're gonna go mule drugs mm-hmm. back and forth over the border until we have enough money. And hit New Orleans on the way, get a fancy dinner, and then head off to Florida for retirement and hot chicks on the beach. <laughs> you know. Um, so anyway, we're okay. in the jail. But the thing I wanted to say is Dennis Hopper has a conflict with him. And he's just like, hey, man, if you give, talk like that, like you won't have a head. Oh, but my head hurts. Or whatever. And then Dennis Hopper uh, is talking to him. The camera shot is divided uh, through the grating mm-hmm. of an open door. So it's like from the viewpoint of Dennis Hopper's character, they're divided mm-hmm. and there's bars in between them. Mm-hmm. But then it goes to Jack Nicholson's shot, which is the door is wide open. Yeah. And that's actually very telling of how their it's characters do interact with each other. Um, because Jack Nicholson, his character, I don't know what his name is. Oh, it's George. Yes, he's, he gets thrown in. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's George Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> George well, Hansen. Yeah. I, I love that, that band, Hansen. They've got a beer called Mm Hops, by the mm. way. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. Um, but he turns out to be <laughs> somebody important. And he gets thrown in jail a lot because he's drunk. And uh, the guard comes and he's just like, I thought you might have a headache, so here's an aspirin. He's like, oh, thanks, man. And then Dennis Hopper's like, Can I get a cigarette? And the guy's like, you ain't fit for a cigarette, you animal. And then, like, No, he tells him George that he doesn't Nicholson. trust him with fire. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but then George Nicholson is all like, no, no, give him a cigarette. He's cool. And he's just like, what? Is what? he officially George Nicholson? <laughs> now he is, yeah. <laughs> That's what we're calling him. Because, unless you know... Well, okay, nobody in this film has a last name. I'm absolutely positive that as far as the George casting. As George, far as the George casting Hansen. is concerned. Yeah. Hanson's got a last name. Mm-bop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hops? Hmm. Uh, does someone want to pass me my beer? <laughs> We're um, drinking. There was something I was going to say, and I completely forgot what it was. Uh, All right, so let, I want to talk about what is the Nicholson character? I mean, we've said already he's a breath of fresh air into this thing. Oh, yeah, he's a delight. Yeah, an <laughs> utter delight. What is, uh, for you guys, what does he add to this movie? Um, well, Jack Nicholson, first of all, enough said. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, okay, so he is kind He okay, he doesn't, um, he's obviously the son of somebody very, uh, prominent, because when he gets you out of jail. Yeah, he's also an attorney. Yeah. So he represents kind of, um, the old way, but like a seed mm-hmm. of yeah, the old way. Maybe that's why he's the only character with a first and last name. That's true. He's like a bridge. <laughs> Yeah, George no, I Nicholson. absolutely <laughs> agree with that. I mean, George Hansen, I'm sorry. Um, 
No, but I mean, yeah, no, he is a bridge, and also he's like fucked up. He can't deal with the old way. Mm-hmm. He's he's a drunk. He's like I drink all the time. I'm drunk all the time uh, because I can't deal with this old system. And I'm kind of deeply interested in what you guys are doing. What are you doing? Can I go with you? And then from then on, they're like the three fucking musketeers, right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel me. like as we, when we were talking about friendship too, like and how, why are these? You kind of get the impression that he would have stayed with them, you know. Oh yeah, if no, he hadn't totally. met an untimely end, which well, he just wanted I'm to sure go. We'll talk about later. Yeah, he wanted to go to <laughs> New Orleans to go to the cat house with mm-hmm. him, same way. But yeah, no, he was like having a great time, having a ball, and it's just like, well, screw it, yeah, I'm digging, digging with these guys. Putting that, they corrupt him. Uh, he smokes his first joint with them. Uh-huh. Oh, he was corrupt. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean. That scene was actually really, dar- like I I thought that scene was like darling. Oh yeah, like it was really yeah, cute. So like I, I feel like it was almost the opposite of corruption. Is like no no let us let us take you under our wing and we'll show you the wonders of our world. And you know he was he seemed so naive. Yeah, and you like they met him when they woke up in a jail so you couldn't imagine that he would actually be naive but he seems very like kind of innocent yeah in that he's very moment. trusting well, yeah. no uh-huh. he's part of the old system he's the son of the old system basically but he doesn't like it but you know he hasn't run across two dudes like this who might be able to show him a different way to go you know right no i agree i think that's a big part of the reason other than the performance itself why the character works is it adds this sort of nuance to, yeah, the two poles trying to understand each other. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, he's how we want to see the world. In an ideal world, we'd have, that, we'd have people with that desire to reach out well, to one another. He's almost us, as the viewer. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we're kind of standing outside of the entire film with all these people and kind of watching it going on. But as soon as they invite him along, it's like inviting us, the viewer, along to change... Um, and maybe move more towards the direction of these two characters who are mm-hmm. advocating for change. Mm-hmm. No wonder we liked him so much. Yeah. yeah. He's us. Well, I mean, it's also Jack Nicholson. He's I thought he was Nicholson. quite I'm handsome. I'm Jack Nicholson. Too. You're Jack Nicholson. All of us in the audience? Cox is Jack definitely Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. In that Nicholson. moment, we were all Jack Nicholson. I haven't changed back yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so actually, this is a, a segue. I wanted to get to something. Mm. Because, like we say, the Nicholson character... Is probably the most nuanced character in the movie. And, oh, I, I wrote some notes down here. Notes? Notes. Ooh, um, you fancy, huh? Okay. So, in this movie, about, largely about fear of the other, we have this great humorous character played by Jack Nicholson who actually has a desire to, to see things, to really understand them. Even things he doesn't completely understand, he's hungry to allow himself to change, essentially. So my question is, in this film, what about the characters who don't have that understanding? Uh, and, and my question would be this. In a film about fear of the other, is this film and the way it presents its more bigoted, ignorant characters guilty of the same mentality it criticizes? I mean, because we never really get a sense of nuance to those antagonistic characters. Is the movie, do you think it's a flaw in the movie that it doesn't try to understand them and sort of paints them more as just bigoted rubes, essentially? I mean, that's interesting points. I'm trying to think of the shot that they're in and what that shot is like and kind of how it... Well, the first one in the restaurant sort of a slow pan, I think. 
camera pans past the booths. <clears throat> well, I mean, it, it the the scene kind of unfolds. So it starts with, um, you know, they're sitting at the table. We get all of them, and then I know that it's like just the just the sheriff, but you can kind of see somebody next to the sheriff, and it, it's very tight. Right. There's the man and with the trucker the, hat. Yeah, it's the it's two of the girls, and then as time goes on. And as more and more, as it's more and more clear that everybody in the restaurant has taken notice of them, the shots get wider. Right. Right. And the the shot of them stays the same the entire time. They're in plain view the entire time. But the shot gets wider and wider and shows more of these people who are commentating on them. And as that happens, they seem to, like, I, I think that actually addresses the flaw you're talking about. They get more and more power. Right. Uh Oh, wait, so uh, go further with that, actually. So, originally, we have them, the three of them, together, mm-hmm. and uh, they have power. They're our protagonists. They're our three musketeers. We love them. We've been hanging out with them for the past whatever. Right. And then, now, we go to the sheriff. Uh, he's just some annoying sheriff, Rube, kind of annoying guy. Um, but now, we go to the sheriff and the guy next to him, and then we go to the guy next to him, and we go to, like, two of the girls, and then, eventually, we start to get more of the girls and more of the sheriff and the guys, thus, you know, giving them the same kind of power that I think that they're, I would posit that they're given by being in the uh, scene in the first place in plain view, you know? Oh, yeah, and no question those characters do have the power. Uh, Our main protagonists are outsiders at this point. We're in Louisiana at this point. Uh, You know, it's a scene before the Mardi Gras, I think. And... uh, yeah, essentially they are out of their element. But my question isn't so much about the power dynamic. What my question is is the yeah, way I was that Nicholson's character really <laughs> the, the way that Nicholson's character is very much portrayed as a flesh and blood human being, I would argue that maybe some of our antagonistic characters aren't given that. Is that problematic to you, or do you think it fits well into the movie's ideas about fear of otherness? Well, Okay, so the fear is of other... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I kind of feel like um, giving them the power and inevitably giving them the power to end the life of our protagonists uh, kind of addresses the idea of, you know, whether or not they're... You're saying just because they're anonymous? They, they... They lack, like, they're not rounded individuals. None of them, you know... As as antagonists to the main characters, um, you you don't really get a sense of who they are. You just know they're they're straw men, you know. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, but that's a heels. telling point. The system is a, a, it is not a diverse thing. It is not an interesting thing. It's just some shit that's going on, and yeah, the diversity and stuff comes from the search for freedom, the search for um, sort of your individuality. Well, that's where your individual... Hard to talk. That's where your individuality comes from. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the the searching for the freedom. You know, that quest. And these people are straw men. They're nothing. They're flat characters. Because they're not. They're not looking. So, you know, they're... Of course they're not well-rounded. Of course they're not individuals. Well, um, and I I want... I'm going to, like, kind of change the subject here. Because I wanted to talk about something that we actually noted... While we were watching the movie at the scene, the scene, um, you know, right before Jack Nicholson, <laughs> George yeah. Nicholson gets uh, gets brutally murdered. Um, 
And that's that, you know, throughout the movie, you've seen them stop and camp by the side of the road and nothing bad happens to them. They seem pretty like it seems pretty safe. And Rob, you turn to me and you go this. You could never do that today. There's no way that you could just pull over on the side of the road anywhere and just camp by the side of the road and be safe. Yeah, To be very clear, actually, that's how they shot the movie, too. They did pull over on the side of the road. I mean, they had four bikes and they had a little trailer with people in it or whatever. But they did just pull over on the side of the road and shoot those campfire scenes. They did just smoke weed instead I'm, of getting fake weed. And I'm not saying that it wasn't easier to do that in the 60s than it would be now. But I I also wanted to point out that that as soon, pretty much as soon as you <laughs> said that, <laughs> right, right. Then danger, they get danger, then yeah. danger comes. Right. And, and so it, it maybe isn't that, you know... It was 100%. You were guaranteed you could just do that. And it, there, there's still an element of danger there. Right. Well, I'm saying you, you can't even shoot a movie like this now. Like, well, you, you could. It would just be, you know, fake. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I just don't think that you could pull over to the side of the road, have a campfire and shoot that shit. Okay. It's a good question. Yeah, a cop <laughs> would drive by and be like, what are you guys doing here? Well, we're, oh, you we're mean filming just a scene like for a movie. if you weren't, yeah, you not, know, Hollywood or something. Not only yeah. is what I said during the thing, it's like, wow, you, you couldn't do that nowadays. You couldn't do that anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, especially not in California. You couldn't just, like, pull over to the side of the road and light a campfire. You can do it in Mexico. <laughs> Actually, Graham biked all the way down to Mexico. Our, uh, that's a friend of ours. He's kind of a hippy-dippy sort. But uh, he biked all the way down to Mexico and took a barge to Costa Rica, just, you know, stopping off the side of the road, mm-hmm. going to the desert for a few whatever and lighten a campfire which i i mean i guess you can do it in mexico but it's kind of dangerous because kinda. there are people who fucking rob tourists yes <laughs> yeah so yeah actually you know i it's funny you say that because i had a similar thought to you and tess while i was watching this it was a thought actually i had when i was a kid uh before i lost my innocence <laughs> I think a couple of years ago uh well thank I, tess for that I love travel. I love the idea of travel. I absolutely love it. And so I remember at some point I started to realize that if, not like I'd ever have the means to do this, but if I ever did want to go walking around the world. just Sojourning? Yes, yeah, sojourn wherever you want. It's unfortunate that there are parts of the world where you can't do this. Not all of the world is open. And I think that's what our characters want the world to be, is a place where they can ride easy where they can go wherever they want and simply be who they are. In fact, I thought that was an interesting parallel to Cool Hand Luke too. is these aren't characters who are going out trying to shake the system. They're simply trying to do things in their own way. The Peter Fonda character, I think, even commends a farmer because you did something that was your idea, you made it happen for yourself, and he really respects the idea of just people having the courage to do what they want. Mm -hmm. But... I think uh, what Easy Rider might be saying is that we don't live in a country or a world where people will be able to do everything they want. And it's kind of a shame. Yeah, I think it's interesting to note, too, that um, what they're talking about uh, not only applies to the narrative of the film and kind of uh, how society was changing at that point in time, but indie film in general. Like, this was an independent feature that was shot this way. It was like, oh, you found your own thing, you went out and did it. That's what they were doing as well. You know, mm-hmm. Just, you know, by proxy of making the film. Is that by proxy? Is that how that works? By, um, 
by the simple virtue act of. of yeah by virtue of that that's a good one by virtue of making the film i mean that's pretty much exactly what they're trying to do is not only show it uh, in terms of hey society you know we got to change we got to allow people to do their own thing in order to be the forerunners who change society also we're going to do that with the film system and i guess what eventually really kickstarted that off was you know videotape but um that's a that's a much larger discussion but let's not I'm, get I'm, into I'm a that. big i'm a big film geek so i i think about that kind of stuff all the if time. we're gonna get into that we'll have to you know work on that or before now <laughs> yeah i have another question wait wait hold on okay. before your questions we're gonna <laughs> take a little break because it's getting a little hot in here and tess went and got brady a beer and herself a beer but i didn't no, get no, me no, a beer i thought that. you had one Nah, it's gone so anyway <laughs> we're gonna be back with uh, a little conclusion to easy rider and our discussion of and maybe a little debate on what to pick for our next movie right after this. All right. That scene was actually really dark. Like, I, th I thought that scene was, like, darling. Everybody, uh, welcome back to Carnivorous Couch. Thank you, Rob. This is the show where we watch uh, a movie every week because the couch has swallowed us and we are swallowed for two that hours. That's literally what happened. It's, it's a lot like Robot Chicken, except um, with the couch and us and a movie and not whatever the fuck Robot Chicken's about. Yeah, it's also kind of like yeah. Mystery Science Theater 3000, I yes! guess. Where the, more like that, yeah, except more like we don't that. talk through the movie m much. Well, I mean, we could do that, but the thing is, I think it would be incredibly boring because we just wouldn't be able to Okay, I'll speak for myself. I wouldn't be able to come up with enough witty things to say over the top of the movie to keep it interesting. It would just be too difficult. Too I feel like himself. if it were me, I would just turn the sound off and do like a Harry Potter thing. I, well, I mean, wizard people, dear reader, over the entire thing. <laughs> I mean, well, this podcast right now is a stretch for me to keep myself interesting. I have a little bit of difficulty with that. Now, Brady was asking me a question, though. Because oh, yeah. Brady keeps it interesting because he's keeping it real. <laughs> yeah. I keep it real, so real. smart. Oh, yeah. I'm and you got the mojitos. That's a terrible impression. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like my, like, well, wait, man. We got to. I don't know if I trust this guy, man. Hey, man. <laughs> um, I mean, that's right. just me saying man a lot. <laughs> So I had one more question about this film I wanted to pose to you, and not just because I think it's an interesting question in terms of the film, but I think it's a question that touches all art forms, essentially. And I know Tess and I, Tess is my girlfriend, by the way, I don't think we got that. It was way. implied. She's an implied <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but we talk about this a lot in terms of how it impacts the value of art. I want to talk about the idea of dating. And not dating a girl, but dating a film or an artwork. So obviously this is a movie that's very specifically of its time, very specifically about its time. It's about the 1960s. It's about the various faces of the counterculture and how they butted heads with the more conservative elements of, of the American culture. So what I want to know is, do you guys feel this film is dated? at all in that it chooses to portray this very specific moment 
in the history of a very specific country? Or do you think it has more universal things to say? And the other question I'd want to ask you guys is, how much does something like that matter? Or is a film mm-hmm. or an artwork maybe stronger because it has the balls to be very specifically about one thing, but in a way that uh, maybe speaks to larger truths that extend beyond its time? Um, I don't feel that it was dated, uh, depending on what you mean by that. I, I mean, obviously, I it's a product of its I, time. No, I, I don't think it's completely dated either, for the record. But it's a question that comes up, I think, when you make something about a very specific moment in history. And it, not just about it, but essentially a lot of the questions it raises are about the face of that moment. Well, I mean, one of the things that keeps me from feeling like it's truly dated is that most of what we're seeing, you know, we do we do see a few small towns, which, you know, I guess do kind of have that look to them of just like this does not this truly does not exist anymore there's no longer this kind of small town but you know in a way there there is still and i wouldn't say that wasn't my issue but more that it's very much about this specific moment in american history um I, I, i think no i think this is very relevant to today i mean i think we're kind of going through this exact same thing again uh not necessarily right away but i mean throughout um maybe 2000 you know i I guess with the crash from 2006 when we started to crash to now you know we're starting to talk about like well wait a minute what's wrong with doing things differently what's wrong with not doing the same stupid shit that we've been doing this whole time you know for the record i'm with you guys Mm. i don't think that it's really very problematic that it's about this specific moment in history. But I think it's a question that comes up repeatedly is, is it a problem to be very much of your time and about your time? Uh, when we talk about artwork as something timeless that people will be watching a thousand years from now. Well, I mean, people who have an interest in, you know, the the past and history would certainly be able to look at this for at least an idea of what that time was actually like. Oh, I agree. So, and and I think that was w- what was interesting to me is it felt very real. And it, you know, it felt like it really was truly a product of its time. And I got a, a distinct sense of what it would have been like, you know, to live d- through that or through an experience like that in a time where... You know, as we said, you you couldn't do that today. Um, So it definitely has a time capsule quality to it, and there's value certainly in that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I just think it's interesting because sometimes I've heard the word time capsule also used as a pejorative. I haven't. Who doesn't love a time capsule? Yeah, right? (laughs) Time capsules are awesome. (laughs) It's like... About the size of a nickel, and you swallow it for a period. No, that's a pill. That's <laughs> uh, the time release capsule. Ah, there you go. Too. Yeah, especially but if it's like good, good come stuff. Come for the review <laughs> and stay for the jokes. I swallowed a time release capsule and it released an MC Hammer album into my stomach. <laughs> Stop. Hammer time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Really? I thought we just had that an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hammer time more than once a day. <laughs> I mean, g- come on, dude. <laughs> Hammered time. <laughs> yeah, that happened last night, I guess. Um, okay, so do we have anything to add about this film? I, we, we touched on a lot of interesting. Well, we didn't. We haven't jogging. talked about the end yet, and we haven't talked about when they actually get to. Uh, <laughs> This is why I asked the question. I forgot that what we had talked about, and I was actually starting where, to worry about they, the signal. Where, oh, the, here's the thing. is like I'm trying to recording. remember where they actually end up. They end up in New Orleans, <laughs> and they're they're there to see. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about the acid trip. We yet. haven't <laughs> talked about the acid trip. It's <laughs> a full haven't, movie. There. We haven't talked about when they actually get to the whorehouse, which was their, which was their major destination. And uh, I feel like having that destination actually separates this movie from being like distinctly an Eastern storytelling. It, it feels definitely more Western to well, me with that end in mind. Well, um, I feel like the arc is very much uh, we're going to start off meandering and not kind of know where we're going. We basically go, we're going here. Here's another shot of us riding our motorcycles across the country. Um, Here's another shot of this. And then they have the first campfire, and they say, oh, yeah, man, Like we, uh, I think the first thing we should do when we get there, and we don't know where there is yet, um, is have a nice dinner. And then as time goes on and as they meet more people and they do their little meandery journey where they go off to the commune and blah, 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 then they say they're going to New Orleans, and we go, oh, okay, now we have a destination, which is it's very much how like somebody who's trying to find their own way goes. Mm-hmm. You know, They start off. Not really knowing which way to go. Okay, I guess we'll just go with the flow. Keep walking. And um, then eventually they go like, Oh, California. California. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to California. And then... Uh, sorry. Anybody doesn't know what that reference is? Nope. What? You don't know that reference? You haven't seen California The Wizard? Love? The Wizard. Oh my God! The wi- you're talking about oh, the I, wizard. I, I yeah. saw the wizard. California. Truly a great film. Truly a great film. It is as timeless a film as <laughs> the Power Glove. Now we're talking <laughs> dated here. This is when you said dated. I was like, what is he talking about? That's dated. <laughs> that is some dated shit. It's true. It's definitely like here's the Power Glove. Never see it again. I've never seen a power glove in real life. Oh, I had a friend who had Be one. Be clear. Yeah, for sure. You would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all my friends had all the video games. I didn't. <laughs> Why do you think I was friends with them? They were assholes. <laughs> Brady had video games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, had some consoles. We were at the end, um, right before they meet their untimely end. Uh, at the graveyard, they take acid... They eat some kind of weird dinner that looks like eggs and gravy. I'm not really sure what it is. I think it was some fancy shit. It was either really fancy or they were hoodwinking these hippies. <laughs> like they, didn't have a, they, didn't, they didn't have enough in the budget to actually buy a fancy dinner. So they're like, check out this very small, fancy horse divorce. I mean... <laughs> well, they were at a cat house. <laughs> yes, exactly. Shut up and eat your sauce. <laughs> Wait, do you pronounce that horse divorce or is it hors d'oeuvre? Hors d'oeuvre! Uh, sorry, I wrote... Okay, everything we're saying is on a script. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, a script that exists only in your head. <laughs> no, no, it's right. You're holding it. <laughs> sure, take advantage oh, wait, of the fact that I, the listeners can't see us. <laughs> hey, 
Some people can listen and see at the same time, Tess. You shouldn't assume everybody can't see when they're listening. <laughs> so anyway, um, acid trip scene. They get to New Orleans, and they well they wait. eat a fancy dinner. Wait a minute, dudes beat the hell <laughs> beat the shit after the diner. I mean, we we, we talked about it in passing, we did but talk we didn't. Ab- we didn't discuss it specifically, but I think it's important to say Jack Nicholson gets bludgeoned to death with. a bad or something yeah, yeah. Uh, right after giving a monologue about how other people are um afraid of them and then they were like well then that means they're afraid of us and he said no that means they're dangerous right and like literally yeah. right after that he gets beat up and dies yeah <laughs> which sucks because i mean like the biggest like thing that uh, character well the uh it sucks because we like the character but it's also kind of like here are our two protagonists they're on their meandering journey they're taking their whatever you know, they're taking their risks. They're taking all their stuff. They've already done more dangerous things, gone back and forth to Mexico. You know, they found a way to be. They found out how to manage all this. And then they take this guy with them who's basically, like you said, very naive, very just like an innocent child. It's like, well, that's how you smoke weed. Oh, no, you got to hold it in your lungs longer, dude. Okay, well, yeah, you want to you wanna light that joint back up? Oh, you're talking about aliens for a little bit? Uh, that's funny. That happened to me the first time, too. You know, all that kind of stuff. And then, then this guy gets killed just because he's hanging out with them. Like, he's not... He's, he's more conformist than they are. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But neither of them get killed. Yeah, he he gets killed. He, he suffers the consequences of their sins, which maybe, if you think about it, is even more telling sort of thing. It's like the people who are damaged most by the establishment's opposition or the opposition to the establishment are the people who are kind of in between who don't deal well with the establishment but aren't railing against it uh, another thing actually i wanted to say about you you made me realize the jack nicholson character before we meet him we don't know where they're going they don't really either he's the one that tells them about their end you know they end up at the whorehouse because he tells them about it right at that point, we do know they're going to Mardi Gras. Well, we know they want to go to Mardi Gras, but like th- Mardi Gras is, well, maybe we don't. I don't know. But <laughs> Rob's giving me a look. No, they, they, they announce <laughs> it to the uh, guy who brings them to the commune. That's when they're a week away. Uh, and when they're a few days away, we get the Nicholson character. But yeah, mm-hmm. Nicholson is the one who tells them about the cat house. Which yeah. is which is like, I feel like they spend more time there on that than they, than they the do movie? actually at Mardi Gras, which, by the way, also looks pretty nebulous to me. Like, I'm sitting there going, is this the French Quarter? And it probably is. But I don't see, I didn't see too much there oh, it, that made it's me really, cutty. really yeah. understand that they were at Mardi Gras. None of, like, that iconic imagery that you would expect to see. Well, they didn't have the plastic beads yet. Well, I, you know, but like, and you do see a parade. <laughs> it wasn't really plastic yet. But, like, to me, that parade was, was, very like strikingly similar to the one that they, that they interrupted. Got, yeah, exactly. You know, like there's no there's there there was even even when they did get to an iconic place and had an iconic thing around them, there there really wasn't a distinction there for me that this was definitely one hundred percent Mardi Gras. <laughs> okay. So uh what during you, the day, you what know What do you think about the juxtaposition of the scene where uh Jack Nicholson's character gets beat to shit and dies? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they they go like, oh, well, where should we go? We should uh, we should go where he was going to go. Let's. They take the card out of his wallet mm-hmm. that has the description. Okay, let's carry on in his kind of stead since he's now dead. And um, because of all that, 
uh, sort of stuff. They bring him along. He dies kind of for their sins. And Hello, then, prostitute. You honor Jack Nicholson's memory. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then they go to the prostitutes. They have that meal that they were talking about in the very first scene. Mm-hmm. And um, then they take the acid with the prostitutes out in the graveyard. And Terrifying. It, yeah. I mean, it, it's <laughs> obviously no. people start to have like a bad trip, pretty much. Um, and it's very chaotic. And there's a lot of. There's a lot of a religion, which is kind of the ultimate symbol of well, they're uh, conformity. In a, they're in a graveyard too. They're in a graveyard, symbolic. But, but you know, the uh, ultimate symbol of conformity, religion, right? Mm-hmm. And there's somebody, uh, you know, obviously performing a service or something, and they're, you know, now I walk in the shadow of valley of death, blah blah blah, um, and all that kind of stuff going on. And because they're in the graveyard, they go like, I'm, uh, you know, they get convinced that they're dead, which yeah. is typical kind of acid stuff um so i mean all this chaotic craziness goes on they have their bad trip uh then they have a campfire at which point peter fonda's character says we blew it man and dennis hopper's character is like what what are you talking about like we made it we're gonna go to florida we've done all the things that we said we were gonna do and he's mm-hmm. like no no we blew it like okay so a couple statements i'm dead i'm dead i'm sure i'm dead I'm still here. I'm still here. I want to get out of here. Uh, We blew it, as he said. Um, Hmm. What do these statements mean? Well, it was the two ladies they they hired to hang out with them that were saying most of that during the acid trip. Well, he was sitting there talking to the statue, too, going like, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. Yeah, he was. Um, uh, Get away from me. Yeah. I think he might have been talking to his mother. Possibly. Uh, what, what would the mother represent? What, what would the mother represent? Yeah, family. Yeah, uh, um, maternal instinct. Maternal, uh, yeah. yeah. These innocence. are all, all sorts of societal constraints that we've built up over time yeah. that are reinforced by you know natural the old tendencies. Ways. But yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I want to get out of here. Um, like to me, that says a lot. Like, well, look, I'm just. Living like this isn't living. I, I I want this to change. I want this to be different. That's the the other thing is that um, we keep talking about how, you know, these these men are truly free and they're doing whatever they want. And there's there's such a sense of that that they're not really doing what they want. That maybe they don't even know what they want. They're not really going anywhere. I wouldn't want to do what they're doing and it doesn't feel like it the throughout the movie like i didn't feel like they were even really really enjoying themselves nobody really dennis hopper didn't enjoy himself ever (laughs) at any time at any time but peter fonda was always kind of into whatever he was doing he always had a positive outlook the person enjoying themselves the most is um captain america no Uh, what george George. oh yeah that's true but also uh, what does it say that the leader of the mary Crusade is Captain America, who's got an American flag on his teardrop gas can and a uh, leather jacket with an American flag on the back. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, is that like, you know, Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem? Like, is that like really crazy at that time or is that like cool? <laughs> I, no, I, 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 I know that that was def- like that was a costume that they had to have designed specially by two quote unquote Two old ladies in L.A. or in Los Angeles. Actually, they didn't say L.A. <laughs> to me, just announced that this is going to be a movie about America. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 
I would go with that, but also him being the ringleader and and kind of being uh, attached to that is is another thing, right? And ultimately, all that gets when they get shot at the end. Uh, the one guy gets shot. Mm-hmm. He gets blown up. Well, they shoot that gas can that's got the money in it. It's got the flag on it, and it burns up him and his jacket with the American flag. No, 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 no. He took his jacket off and put it over his friend's face. You are right. That is. That's what an I was just going point. to say. Is that he kind of like as this like. I don't know, almost like putting an American flag over a casket. Right. Like, that was what I felt that a, gesture was. A fallen was. soldier in is, this is a era. Yes, this is a fallen soldier, and I'm like... That's a really good... This... I, didn't, I didn't notice that. I did notice mm-hmm. the shotgun shoots the American flag yes. gas can, which has all the money really, in it. Yeah. A really, really important point, I think. Um, but yeah, that, that American flag coat becomes kind of a a symbolic gesture in itself. Another fun fact. There were four bikes in the film. <laughs> One of them got burned up. Three of them got stolen. Who has those bikes? If you're listening to this and you have <laughs> those bikes, <laughs> I would like to know. And if you crashed those bikes, please tell us so we can let the families know. <laughs> the families of the bicycles. Yeah. There's a lonely spring out there somewhere going like, oh, oh, if only I had known what happened to Jason yeah, no, and Jimmy like a... and, and all the parts <laughs> that are my brothers and cousins that went into this bike that... Uh, like an Peter Iron Fonda Giant, <laughs> they're all going to come reform into a super bike? Ooh, we should watch Iron Giant for one of these. Great I'm movie. so down for that. It would fit into the... the no, that was the 40s, right? Okay, 50s? so... 50s. 50s. So now that we brought up those... What we we addressed Arizona. what we think the... Uh, the uh, American flag being draped over, maybe the fallen soldier in search of actual true freedom. Yep. Uh, what's it mean to, you know, basically incinerate the or the American flag or the nationalism being a thing that causes the incineration of our protagonist, who has the, kind of the most agency out of the entire film. Going to go with dialectical materialism two opposing sides are warring over what america means and in the end the very identity of the nation is at that time being incinerated uh, to create something brand new either that or just in the end one's dead and one's burned yeah i everyone's dead that's what it is (laughs) really well, no. <laughs> I mean, the scene before was everybody kept screaming about how they were dead. Yeah. Well, no, the women. Okay, the women, women screamed about how they were dead, and um, men kept trying to tell the women they were beautiful, and also talking to the, no, vir- no, the Virgin Mary. He's talking he to the Virgin Mary statue. He didn't tell her she was beautiful. He said she needed to be beautiful. Oh, okay. That's a good point. It's an important <laughs> distinction to make. It's a huge distinction what, what to I, make. Why don't? Why don't? Uh, why don't you give us your? I know you're itching to give a I, feminist no, I, rant I on that. I actually hadn't. I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it just now. In, so until you might, I misquoted. You, maybe maybe if I like specialist guest some other time, I'll have some you know early blog commentary or whatever. Oh, so you have to think about it to you make think, a, a I do have feminist. To th- I'm not going to just start ranting. God knows what will come out of my mouth. Mm. Damn, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> The whole reason you're here. You are gonna have to edit it out, my friend. <laughs> All right, do it. No, and I'm I will not edit gonna it fem- out. No, I'm not gonna 
Damn, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to kind of use the feminist movement as a uh, yeah, piece of meat the to only, kind of put the at the front of her podcast. This, okay, the only women in this movie were either like ogling these like not that attractive dudes, and Peter also, Fonda's well, beautiful. Peter Fonda's beautiful, but the other two, well, or and had then, a knife, <laughs> and um, one of them had a knife, but she didn't ogle Peter Fonda, and the no, she was she ogling the other guy, and she had a knife. Actually, I think they liked Jack Nicholson. You the know, most. there's a bunch of hit. They did like Jack That's Nicholson. True, the the chicks, most. Well, I mean, oh, God. He was still, he looked old even then, and he looked so young. <laughs> oh, that's uh, like me. I look old. <laughs> even then. We're all in that moment, Jack yeah, right? Nicholson. And then, and then at the end, like, the, the, the women who get, like, arguably the most lines of the entire movie are whores. I don't know. <laughs> I don't Ed, drink. Edit this out. <laughs> Here, just, 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 eat, just eat it. Just shut up and take it, right? That was what? something that was said right oh, before yeah, they, they took the acid. Oh, yeah, they just kept saying that about the acid. Yeah. Okay, right before I am dead, I am dead, uh, I need to get out of this place, all, all the kind of sort of craziness that comes from the nonconformity uh, of, you know, the culmination of their nonconformity. Right before that, shut up and take this. Or uh, yeah, well, don't worry about it, just take this. Yeah, I mean, that's the 60s. <laughs> right, but I mean, it's also kind of like, here, we're going to go on this journey. Just do it. You just have to... Well, I, I had well a, they paid for their... There was a more coherent way of saying that. They paid that, for their time. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, also, what I'm trying to say is the way that the two um, kind of renegade men are treating the women is much the same way the system treated them. Oh, sure. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. For well, once, I agree with you. <laughs> Hey, there's a lot of things that you'd agree with me on, but you just don't ever hear me say them because that wouldn't start an argument. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be, this is a kind, happy place. We're all agreeing with each other. Yes, yes. All right, so. <laughs> so, anybody got any suggestions about movies to watch next time? I I like the Iron Giant idea. Uh, we got one vote for one vote for Iron Giant. I also think that one given vote for Holy Mountain. One thing that I'm thinking, well, let's Holy wait, save for that Halloween. for Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna um, record a special version of the Carnivorous Guest the, theme song for Halloween. The other way. thing, and I know we've all seen it, but I've been thinking a lot about Forrest Gump based on like the conversation that we've been having. Mm-hmm. This is and the I don't idea. know if I want to talk. I don't know if I want to like rewatch Forrest Gump, but I think maybe whatever you end up picking. That should maybe be part of the discussion. Something that would go would juxtapose well. Okay, maybe I'll just we'll we'll see how it is when I listen back to all this. But I always announce a segment that we're gonna do next week in the break uh, of this particular thing. So mm-hmm. we got two breaks, so two segments that I think of, and we'll we'll touch on them next time. I also think you guys should come up with some neat games, like this one that he listens to. They do bad readings. Oh yeah, we totally stuff need like that. that. Like you, anybody who's we listening, please tweet us. At Carney Couch, C A R N Y Couch, and tell us games to play or uh, little bits that we could do on the show or things like that. We really need these ideas. We really need to get this rolling. But uh, it's not something that we just want to copy from somebody else. We want this to organically form from our audience and from, you know, kind of maybe things that we do over and over again here that catch on. Carney? Yes, because you can't spell carnivorous catch on Twitter. It's too long. Oh my God. It's too long for Twitter. Yeah, right? Most things are. Well, if you only get, what is it, 97 characters or whatever, 
then that means that the uh, username has to be one sixteenth of that. Hmm. Oh, by the way, uh, my vote. I'm gonna. I just go, made that up. My vote for a movie. I'm gonna say Field of Dreams. I was talking with Rob last night. I would like to one day do a feature where we take our favorite movie that fairly or unfairly gets slapped with the label of saccharine or overly sentimental. Oh. And we, A, watch it to see if maybe people are right. Maybe it is ruined by its sentimentality. Or we try to defend it. Okay. So yours is Field of Dreams? Field of Dreams. The Lion King. I don't think anybody makes that point about The Lion King, though. But it is. Too saccharine? It's a Disney movie. They all are. I would say Lion King is on Except one side Hunchback of the spectrum. Except for Notre from... Dame, which is the most depressing shit I've ever seen, and they don't even like do the book do right. The, uh, yeah. I haven't seen that one, actually. It was too uh, depressing to ever be made into a Disney movie. This is just the cold, hard facts of it. Well, who knows why they did that then? Oh, right, because they... I don't know. They didn't know what they were doing at that point in time. Clearly the Emperor's not. New Groove was great, though. Emperor's New Groove. We could mm-hmm. watch that One sometime. vote for Emperor's New Groove. I got three votes. Okay, I, would so wa- I would rewatch that anytime. Squeakity, squeak, squeak. Uh, Squeakity, yeah. squeak, squeak. Em. Yeah, Patrick Warburton, apparently, like, if people ask him to do um, Kronk, that's one of the things. I speak to all the woodland creatures. Squeak, squeak, squeak. <laughs> that's the thing. That how how come his names are always, like, like Kronk or Brock? Bro- Kronk, Brock, <laughs> yeah. Putty, what? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, Hank, uh, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be touching that. They kill clean. No sense letting dames get in the way. <laughs> All right. Well, before this devolves into just Venture Brothers <laughs> quotes. As it was wont to do from the we beginning. G- we got to pick the movie. Uh, any Anything out of left field anybody can think of? Left field? Well, Left he field. already said... Angels in the outfield. Right. He already said Left a baseball field. movie here. Okay. Of field of Dreams would be a good one that we could do. Uh, we could do... I had some things in mind that I can't think of now. Um, field of Dreams, I think, is a really good candidate. Because like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like what we should be dealing with, at least at the... Be- oh, that was a bump. Well, um, there was, um, we were talking a lot about um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Or we could true. do we Fear and Loathing, Loathing in Las Vegas and maybe some other ill, like, little scene uh, Hunter S. Thompson book-turned movie. Yeah, that would be um, Where the Buffalo Roam. I have not seen Where the Buffalo Roam, so I would maybe be interested in watching Buffalo that. Roam. I have no idea what that is. It's, it's the uh, Bill Murray version of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, basically. Yes. <laughs> it's supposed to be good to some people and to other people not at all. I think it's just dated. Well, that, it might, like when I we when I looked at the jacket that. on VHS, um, I was like, "This looks like it's probably good. It's just very '80s." So, um, I think it's between Where the Buffalo Roam and Field of Dreams. All right, actually. if I have I'm to make the case, Where the Buffalo Roam. I'm gonna argue against Where the Buffalo Roam because we're still a young podcast. We're hoping to get some listeners, and I think we'll have a better chance if, if people do wanting things to tune people in. People have already seen exactly. Right. Because then they don't have to watch the movie ahead of us. However, I would like to eventually get enough listeners so that we are kind of dictating Oh yeah, that'd like, be great. An, an education of like really great films. Yeah, that would we be have, awesome. We have a great asset in Ed O'Neill's like. <laughs> yes, we do. Thank because you, Mr. Everybody's O'Neill. friends with our old film professor. 
who uh, I hope he actually listens to the podcast. Like you, I don't you said, know he would. I mean, like to the podcast. No, what's crazy about Ed is like I hated him at first because he failed me, but it's because <laughs> he said he'd fail me if I turned in my first in a uh, paper late and I turned in the first paper late and then nothing else late. But then he failed me because he said he would, and Aww. that's totally. Well, but it's totally fair. Well, he told you. You knew what you were I, up against. Yeah, I knew. I knew. But it was like after having. <laughs> like I, I'm like okay, I fucked up at first, but like you can't possibly fail me if I do really well for the rest of the course. And then like I took the course again, and I think at some point in time he asked me, he like took me aside during a break after bumming a cigarette from me and said, "Right, <laughs> and that said, sounds like, like him." Hey, why do you always show up to class? Uh, like you're really participating a lot in this class. Why do you always show up to class late and covered in filth? <laughs> <laughs> you were on the paint crew, and, I, and I'm like, no, 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 because I. Or no, I was on the paint you crew. Were on you the paint were. Crew. I was crawling through dirty holes with a wire in my that mouth. That was when you got the um, appendicitis, <laughs> right? And I. Well, this was and before then, I got so, the appendicitis. But before but you, that was what was so funny about that is like you. You had been coming in <laughs> like late and covered in filth, and then one day you don't show up at all, and I showed up with a note from the doctor covered in filth. <laughs> <laughs> to excuse you from class. And he was just like, what the fuck is going on? Does he, does he live in the woods? Who's this? Yeah. And, then, and then when I showed up, subsequently, like with my paper, he looked at me and he said, you? Late again? And I'm like, I had my appendix burst inside of me. It's like, oh, you're the poor kid with you. appendicitis. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I understand. Well, um... All you have to do is bring your appendix to me in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> Did he really say that? He said that. Oh, my God, Ed O'Neill. And, and I'm like, Fuck what? And he's just like, I'm just kidding. I'm like, okay. He's <laughs> like, he's like, trust me, you're going to pass this time or something. Something something reassuring. Like, you just saw the look on my face. I was just like, I, I <laughs> burst inside me, filth in three-hour surgery. I have old-school scar. You do, yeah. All right. Well, I, I think we've basically <laughs> reached yeah. a peak, and we will never go better than that in this episode of Carnivorous Couch. So thank you all for listening. We'll hope you're listening next time when we do Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. I will yeah. not be here next week for that. I, I don't think Brady will be either, but he'll do the podcast. We'll do it on Monday. We'll drop it on yeah. Tuesday next week. Yeah, we're going to be out of town next weekend. Yeah, but you'll be around on Monday, right? Yeah. Okay, we'll do it on Monday and drop it on Tuesday. All right, everybody. <laughs> uh, a day's delay next week, but stay with us. <laughs> Carnivorous couch. Shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob <laughs>